Rob's going to be talking out of Romans chapter 7 and 8 today. And we're going to read a few uh, verses from Romans 8, verses 11 through 14. And so in your pew Bible, that is page 943, Romans chapter 8, beginning in, in verse 11, going through verse 14. Let's uh, stand together as we read God's Word. Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For you all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's Word. going to introduce Rob Jackson here. I don't know if you've ever been in an emergency situation and you felt inadequate, you know, it's an emergency and you're there, but you don't really know what to do. And some professional, some physician, some emergency vehicle drives up and and you just have this huge sense of relief like, okay, the pros are here. And I had that situation, and uh, I was looking for a pro. I was looking for somebody who was specialized to, to help people, especially in crisis in their marriage. And really, by God's providence, I, I landed on Rob. I think I went through Focus on the Family looking for somebody, and I ended up with uh, Rob on the phone. And, and I just felt like, okay, the, the, the pro has come in here to help in ways that I can't help. And so uh, he has given us a great uh, seminar, Friday night, Saturday night, very content-rich. Uh, I'm sorry you all weren't here to hear from him. It was an excellent time of being together. And uh, so he's going to come and preach for us today. And uh, it's really an extension of what he said over the last couple of days, right. kind of culminating here in Romans chapter 8, no condemnation. Uh, but Rob is uh, from Oxford, Mississippi, and so he's mm. in the middle of, uh, if you're a college football fan, he's in the right, in the right spot today. And uh, so we're grateful that he's here, um, mostly because he's a man of God willing to deliver the Word of God. Let's pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Rob. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower him now to speak your truth. And Holy Spirit, we pray for you to uh, melt Hearts, open up hearts to be able to hear your word for our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. I'd invite you to get Romans 7. We're going to look at some context before really enjoying Romans 8. And while you're turning to that, I want to thank you. This has been a great weekend, and I thoroughly love your pastor. Uh, We spoke on the phone about three years ago, I think it was, and I felt an instant connection. 
and uh, that's only been uh, built stronger this weekend. As I work with people throughout the country uh, in crisis, as Paul indicated, sometimes the young, the middle-aged, or the old, I reflect on what's happening in the body of Christ. I'm sure you do as well. And I'm convinced that three of the greatest needs we have is that there would be transparency among us. How are we really doing? Secondly, I believe that we need to have hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. And third, transformation in the Spirit. So transparency, hope, and transformation is what I want to share with you this morning. And um, Romans 7 and 8 are the two chapters of the Scripture that are my favorite. Over the years, they've come to mean so much. And um, each week, usually as I sit with a couple or more, I, I share this and try to relate this to how are you going to recover your life? You, the individual, you, the couple, or the family. And when I consider this, I look at Romans 7, and some people believe that maybe Paul was talking about the difficulties he had before his conversion when he was Saul. But I really believe that Romans 7 is his testimony of living life as a Christian. And I'm going to do a little supposition here, but I believe it might have even reflected who he was in those first three years following that dramatic conversion. You see, Paul's conversion left him not only as a Christ follower, but as the last apostle. It was a very significant conversion. But no conversion is a substitute for sanctification. And none of us have seen the light that knocks us from the horse and blinds us for a few days. But we've seen Christ now in our own ways through the Word of God and by the Spirit. And still, there's a need for ongoing transformation. The greatest grief I have working with clients is that I see people who are so earnest in wanting to follow after God and not understanding why can I not get past myself. So let's look at Romans 7.15 where Paul begins by saying very simply, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Can we get a testimony? (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. When I have people calling, sometimes not knowing that Romans 7 and 8 is what we're going to build the week on, I will have some guy on the phone who will basically paraphrase and say, you know, it's kind of like that Paul dude. I don't understand why I keep doing this, whatever this is. And so let me ask you in your life, as you ponder this verse in 15, what are the actions in your life that do not comport with your belief in Jesus Christ? What is it? that you do with some regularity. Now, we recognize we're all sinners, but I'm talking about the things that might have become habitual or compulsive or addictive. You see, we all have sinful behavior, but when we start 
repeating a behavior, you understand if you repeat it long enough, it's going to become a habit. And if you repeat the habit long enough, it's going to escalate to a compulsion, meaning now, you know, you're going to have to have to kind of white knuckle not to do it, whatever it is. And if you repeat a compulsion long enough, it's going to become an addiction. And an addiction is going to steal your joy. It's going to rob you of your power in Christ. If we speak the language of spirit and faith, it's going to be strongholds of the enemy. It's going to be oppression. And so we have to realize that the first part of healing is getting transparent about what's going on, breaking out of the denial. And see, when Paul says here in 15, I I don't do what I do, or I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I think this is an expression of, I am in Christ. I want to do the right thing. I want to do it, but I'm not doing the right thing. In fact, I hate my sin. Listen, if you don't hate your sin... You're in trouble. Let us love God and hate sin. And we are so desensitized in this world, this culture. I'm 53. I've been counseling for about 30 years. People ask, how are things changing? And I would tell you, you don't have the time for me to go through how things are changing. I used to sit with people who would argue about the television. Now his family's arguing about the Internet and the Game Boys and the Xboxes and how much time it's been, what's watched, and so on. So whatever is sinful, ask the Spirit of God to cause a deep hatred for that behavior. In 16, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So, again, I think this is another expression that, you know... I'm in, I'm in the faith. I'm in the fold. I agree with God. His law is good. His standards are not something I'm wanting to rebel against. But the knowledge of good and evil is not the same thing as transformation. You can have information that a particular behavior is wrong, but the information will not change the heart. And we often talk about head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Well, it's that distance between head to heart that we're talking about. And it's the Spirit of God who reveals these things. I know that I am just useless up here until the Spirit of God reveals His Word in a very personal, contextual way to you. 17, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul would not do so well in secular psychology today. Okay? Paul would be talking about things that would injure his self-esteem. But let me assure you, he's saying there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I have taken the time to examine what I'm doing. And I don't get it. Isn't that all our stories? That's our testimonies. And when we come to faith in Christ and we have that honeymoon with Him, lasting for days, weeks, months, sometimes a year or so, it's great. 
kind of walking on water, right? But give it a little bit of time. If you're not learning to place your faith in the Spirit of God as well, then expect to fall. Now let's continue with his his testimony of transparency. He's saying in 18, I know nothing good dwells in me. He's going to clarify for us. I'm talking about my flesh, not the skin on my bones. I'm talking about my human nature, I'm talking about my disposition. I'm convinced. You see, this is important. And let me ask you, are you convinced that there's nothing you can do on your own either to save yourself or to sanctify yourself? You know, the old of the faith would say the faith that justifies is the faith that sanctifies. And praise be, our Father has given us two helpers. The first, Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And the second, the Holy Spirit. Our Father is so ready for us to be the children of God. Not just in heaven one day, but right where you sit. He talks about, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Again, can I get an amen? I mean, this is just incredible. It reads like I might have written it on one of my days of sobriety and transparency. Okay? You know, when you talk about having the desire but not the ability, it reminds me of when Christ took three of his disciples and went to the garden to pray. And you know the agony. It's hard to imagine what the Lord was going through. And he would come out and catch his disciples praying, right? No, asleep on the job. And at one point he says, what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I thought a lot. I don't believe the Lord said that in some kind of, oh, I'm so angry with you. You were supposed to be awake. I think it was with such compassion. And I feel like, this is my supposition, I want to clarify, not chapter and verse. But I feel like it was a moment between Christ and his father where he was being reminded, son, Until you die and are resurrected and ascended, I cannot send those you love the helper. There's no other way. They are weak. They are not able even to stay awake. See, Jesus Christ had humbled himself and taken on the form of a man. We'll talk about that in Romans 8, 3 in a moment. Taking on some limitations, being fully God, fully man, but Jesus Christ in the flesh could not get in to us. Except now, praise God, through His Spirit. Having this desire to do what's right, I believe, is also another indicator that this really is, this was a man of God speaking here, but he was transparent. I haven't arrived Has anybody among us arrived? I'd like to meet you. I know I have it. One of the burdens of my profession is for people to think I have it all together. Or that my wife and I have it all together. 
or that our two kids have it all together. We have an expression in our family. We like people who walk with a limp. That expression means people who realize, you know, we're not perfect. We walk in grace. Get to know us, you'll find a lot of our flaws. But our hope is in Christ. Our transformation is in the Spirit. In 19, he goes on to talk about not doing the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I hear an echo with that verse. You know, keep on doing. I keep on doing this stuff. To keep on doing is the language of a habit. Sin is very habit-forming. You know, we read about addictions today. That's the language of my profession. This last week, the first addiction to the Google glasses has occurred, and someone has gone into treatment. And you might think, well, how, how could such a thing happen? And there are people who doubt that it could happen. But I'll tell you, the human brain is wired in such a way to become addicted to anything. Because that's so much of what our flesh runs on. Our flesh runs on our brain and the nervous systems and how they're being interacted and bombarded with the environment in which we live. So we have to be mindful that when we keep on doing the wrong thing, that means we have not started to repent. We have not started to confess Maybe we haven't gotten transparent with people that we do life with. In 20, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. This delight is in his soul, in his spirit, in his mind. This delight to me is evidence he's speaking of his life in Christ. In spite of it all, you know, if you could see what I do behind the closed door, I delight in God and who he is. He talks about how he sees in his members another law Members, we're talking about body parts. He's getting very practical here. You got any body parts that's gotten you in trouble lately? I mean, anybody, you know, misspoken? In the New Testament, we read about how difficult it is to control the mouth. So have you dishonored someone, even this morning, perhaps? Uh, perhaps most of all in your family? You know, the, the body craves there are cravings, and if you have those kinds of cravings, you know how desperate it can feel to not be able to say no. Even though all the while, you know better. He's talking about how this law is against the law of his mind and how it makes him a captive to the law of sin that dwells in his members. This Captivity almost sounds like he's saying, the real me, the man of God, is a POW in my own body. He's getting very, very desperate. 
Maybe you've known a prisoner. Maybe you've known a prisoner of war. You know, it's, it's not a pretty thing. And here he's gotten that transparent. And he, I'm, a, I'm sure he's screaming by this time, wretched man that I am. Wretched. Who will deliver me from this body of death? A lot of people fail to recover because they don't allow themselves to get desperate enough. See, when you hit bottom, you get desperate. Hitting bottom can be your health breaks, or it can be your best friend finds out what you're doing, or a family member, and there's some kind of intervention. But see, if we're not listening to the Spirit of God, we're going to keep on doing what we're going to keep on doing. And until we start listening to the Spirit of God, it's not going to bother us that we're grieving Him. Even though in Ephesians it says, don't grieve the Spirit. So the passages we've looked at are all about transparency. I need to move on and talk about hope. Starting with verse 25, after this dramatic, who is going to deliver me? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I have to tell you, I feel like the more complete answer is in Romans 8, 3, which we're going to look at in a minute. It's explaining what God did through Jesus Christ. But he's just reminding us, Christ is our kinsman redeemer. And, you know, if the chapter ended there, we might celebrate and say, well, hey, this is good stuff. But look at what he says. So matter-of-factly, so then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Okay, we could stop there. That's good. But he says, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I kind of want to pull my hair out at this point. Like, Paul, are you talking about spiritual schizophrenia? I mean, is, is this the, the best we can hope for? To know that one day Christ is going to take us to heaven and down here the best we can do is sort of a little of this and a little of that and try to manage our sin instead of overcoming it? Surely, Paul, that's not your testimony to us. And it is not. He continues. And I really wonder why the scribes divided the chapter there. But they did. So let's go on to the next chapter, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse, there is no shame. There is no ridicule. No surprises. And it's not just that there's nothing bad. There is everything good. There is adoption. There is acceptance. There is inclusion. Now, I appreciate that when you and I sin as Christians, let alone if it's become a habit, a compulsion, or an addiction, we feel pretty badly. And feeling badly is a warning, just like a smoke detector going off. Feeling badly is letting us know You're not living life in the Spirit. 
But here, I want to ask you, do you know the difference between condemnation and conviction? See, the Christian doesn't get condemned, but the Christian does get convicted of sin. And when I was working with a kid from Honduras earlier this year, he in his second language, I was saying, look, it's not like convicted in a court of law, convinced. The Holy Spirit will convince you you're hurting yourself. You're hurting those who love you. You are grieving me. You are not living with the power that Christ has secured for you. The Holy Spirit will convince us of these things. This being in Christ, we live and move and have our being in Christ. If you had asked me years ago, Rob, do you believe that we actually live in Christ? I'd say, yeah. You know, always in church, et cetera, et cetera. Always believing the main tenets of the faith, you know, virgin birth, perfect life, death, resurrection, ascension. Um, I didn't know really myself well enough to say, yeah, I, I, I believe, you know, we're in Christ. But I might have said, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like we're in Christ. No, we're in Christ. Metaphysically, we are connected. We celebrate his glory. And doesn't something kind of come alive within you, that worship we experienced this morning? The word of God, doesn't it cause you to kind of stand up a little bit straighter and realize there's hope? What I want to do in chapter 8, rather than reading most of those scriptures, I just want to choose four. So this is the first one, eight one. There's no condemnation. I'd like you to just underscore that, at least in your mind. No condemnation here or ever. Now, let's look at Romans 8.3. I indicated that I believe 8.3 is an answer to Romans 7.24. Paul is saying, who will save me? And in Romans 8.3, we read God, for God the Father has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So let's just get real practical here. God the Father had to have his wrath, his judicial wrath, satisfied. And he's looking at what our ancestry, our type, have done with his standards. And not one has been able to keep it. And you might think, well, just be gone with them. You know, if I was God, well, just wipe this out and start over or wipe it out and go get a different hobby, you know. But his love, his character, he wouldn't permit that. So he fulfills what he requires. You know, think with me about Jesus Christ, this man. Jesus Christ, fully God, always been, never created but didn't take on a human body until about 2,000 years ago. And he did it just for you and me. So that he could really empathize. If you're wondering, you know, does anybody care what I'm going through? Does anybody understand what it's like to be me? 
or like the old country music song, it's hard to be me. You know, if, if anybody feels like it's hard to be me, then I would point you to our friend Jesus Christ. He understands. When we look at something like the Passion of Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, sometimes people complain about it was too brutal. Maybe, maybe not. At any rate, it helps us to see the actual brutality of Jesus Christ. It's hard to watch, isn't it? I pray that the Spirit continues to make the crucifixion of our Lord more and more and more personal. I'll have to tell you a quick story. I had an uncle by marriage who was uh, on Normandy Beach. Uh, in the course of that event, uh, he went for like 28 days not taking his boots off, carrying machine gun. Somewhere in the course of the war, the boy from the south met the boy from uh, New York. And the man from New York's name was Danny. And Danny and my Uncle Bryce became fast friends. And at one point, Danny finds some eggs somewhere out in the field. And just like you'd see in a movie, he takes the eggs and scrambles them in his helmet. And he shares them with my uncle. I mean, can you imagine? And then, having had that bit of nutrition together, Danny stands up and a sniper shoots him dead. When my uncle returned to the States, he married my aunt, and when they had their first son, you want to guess what they named him? Danny. I mean, I think, you know, someone who kind of gives his life and service would really impact you. Now, Danny died of childhood cancer, or of cancer in his childhood when he was seven. But they had another son whose name was Bill. And when Bill grew up to marry Carolyn, and they had a son, would you like to guess what they named him? And today, I have the joy of sharing with you that story and relating it to there is another who has died for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. He loves you more than you can know. Let's look at Romans 8:11. You see, 8:3 tells us that the Father has given us the first helper, Jesus Christ. Romans 8:11 says the Father now has given us the second helper, the Holy Spirit. And it reads, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He, He also will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So I'm reading this verse a couple of years ago. I've seen it, you know, throughout my lifetime. And a couple of things really jump off the page at me. One is Jesus Christ didn't raise himself from the dead. I'd never considered it. I mean, I always recognized and believed, born of a virgin, as I mentioned, lived a perfect life, crucified, resurrected, ascended. I've, by the mercy and providence of God, I've never challenged that. I've been blessed for that to be easy for me to receive and to believe. But being actually a man also, dead men don't raise themselves back to life. He was going to be the firstborn. He is the firstborn raised so that we could follow after him. And I thought also about 
in this verse, it says the Spirit's going to give life to your mortal bodies. All of us are here today in mortal bodies. I'm sure when we have our resurrected bodies, you know, it's going to be complete. It's going to be fantastic. But right now, this transformation can happen today. It happens every time you say, Father, you have given me the power in Christ by the Spirit, and I choose you. I choose your glory. I choose what you choose. Help me to choose what you choose. That's transformation. And then we get into the last verse that I want to share, Romans 8:13. I read a book by John Owen a few years ago, Changed My Life. Mortification of Sin, got a hold of the abridged version by Richard Rushing, so I can read it. The original is very difficult. But the whole book is based on if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. And he talks about, well, there's some conditions if. I mean, you don't have to. And there's a condition of by the Spirit. Let me ask you, if you're struggling with a habit a compulsion or an addiction, and you've tried everything you know to overcome it, are you trying means of self-mortification? Are you trying to kill a sin through your own intellect or through your own good intentions or through this book or that person or whatever? The killing of sin, the overcoming of this world is in the spirit or it does not happen we must grow and become more than babies in christ babies are precious but they are supposed to grow we don't need to become developmentally delayed and so i will close reminding you that we have all of the spirit in us receiving that in our conversion don't don't think that because there's a gazillion Christians, you have a little tiny portion of the Spirit. God has lavished on us everything we need. And so I'm going to close. Yep, my timer's going off. I'm going to close with a quote from John Owen. This is from his book, The Glory of Christ. And, boy, I love this quote. It's going to be telling us that when you come to enjoy God more than anything else... You're going to be okay. On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. See, that covers head and heart. And the more I see the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony of the word that we have, for the provisions made for us in Christ and for what our Lord has done. <clears throat> and I thank you now for the spirit who lives in us to make this real. Help us to surrender our behaviors that are not, are not good, those that are habits and compulsions and addictions, not just for our own benefit, but for your glory. And may the world see transformed lives 
and hope in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.